0: Welcome! I'm getting <laughs> really good at that. <laughs> it was very tuneful as well. wasn't it? Uh, welcome back to Love's Labour's Watched, uh, the your, I don't know, bi-monthly, however we feel like it, pop culture podcast.
1: Yeah, great to be back. Um, yeah. We've had an interesting few months, um, yeah, we technical have. Twitter difficulties that <laughs> were resolved, um, but we got some great feedback on our last episode, which was about our experiences at the Poldark premiere mm-hmm. yeah. and an interview with the actress Carrie McLean, um, who starred in the most recent series of Dark so that was really great to hear, that we enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah,
0: and I mean, as the end of the year starts to kick up, uh, there is literally so much going on, uh, which is really exciting, particularly because we've got Christmas uh, book season and then also Christmas TV season,
1: and like into like kind of the movies that all have like the sort of Oscar buzz around them as mm, well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, we thought that we would actually like take it back to the heydays of summer and talk about Stranger Things 3, yes, the most recent series of the incredibly popular Netflix show that actually came out on July 4th. Um, yeah. So it's some time ago now, but you know, everyone would have caught up and watched it at this point, which is why yeah. we thought we'd save it till now. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So we'll be talking about that. Um, spoilers about yeah, Spoilers, so. but guys, you've had like three months. So. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll also be chatting about sort of uh, some things that we've been liking, things that are coming up. Um, as well. But yes, Stranger Things, as Francesca said, is what we're going to start with. Yeah, let's go.
1: So, Stranger Things 3. Long awaited, uh, Stranger Things 2 came out in autumn of 2017. Wow. So that's like a year and a half, mm. um, which is quite unusual because I feel like in this day and age, um, channels like to really kind of bang out the series. Yeah. You know, something like Killing Eve, for example, the first series came out in the fall of 2018 and then the second series came out in like the spring of 2019. And it's yeah. like, A, how is that even possible? And also, I think you know that you can. There can be a danger of rushing things a bit, and clearly, Stranger Things were not
0: concerned about that. Yeah, I did actually think with Killing Eve that would, there was suddenly all the all the episodes were suddenly out, and I was like, well, "Wait, what is going on?" But I agree. Oh, Stranger Things three, uh, I think it has a similarity to Peaky Blinders, for example. Mm. Or Outlander, actually, um, where they, there has been a year and a half gap between shows just because they do have to get all the actors back together. Um, but with Stranger Things 3, the problem is, is the kids are all in the literally going through puberty from the first series onwards. So they literally look a, a good three to four years older than they do in the first series. And they aren't meant to be three, two, three years older. Yeah,
1: I think they're meant to be kind of 13, 14 in this, in this season, which, which yeah. you know, kind of works. But yeah, I, they've obviously got that. That time
0: sensitive element of that they want to. Yeah, I mean, all the actors are cresting 16 actually at this point. Yeah, 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 the whole father's definitely 16, isn't he?
1: And of course, also, as you say, they've all become very famous and uh, sought-after actors Mm. Um, and so have like the adult actors as well Um, a lot of them were obviously more well-known beforehand but like somebody like David Harbour who plays Hopper which is very confusing by the way it's like a very similar name yeah yeah Um, he has been in like quite he's like isn't he in a new Marvel movie he's in Hellboy he's in a new Marvel movie Yeah. yeah so it must be difficult to kind of get all these people together so i'm sure that was part of it and also i feel like they clearly have got a lot of money going into the show um which is evident by the scale of like some of the sets and things this season Mm. um and but yeah you can definitely really see like that it's not just money they clearly put a lot of care and attention into making sure that it was like a worthwhile
0: return absolutely and the uh, i mean yeah stranger things was back in the day three three years ago yeah um netflix's flagship show isn't that crazy to think of? Like, that was Netflix's big show. even yeah. Orange is the New Black, as well, that's been going for, what, four or five years? I
1: think Orange is the New Black was maybe the first show that was like, you need to get Netflix to watch this. Yeah. But then I think Stranger Things was like this sort of word of mouth runaway hit. Mm. And then, yeah, it, and I think even now it's still, although Netflix, as we're going to talk about later, has so much going on mm. content-wise, I still think, you know, there was a whole couple months where all of Netflix' social
0: media fees was just, just Stranger, things, Stranger Things
1: and even now a couple months later it's still very like dominant in the
0: pop culture mm. consciousness Absolutely and it is interesting to think about now when we consider the time frames of these things that three years ago when Stranger Things first came out Netflix was not hugely in the market making your own content um, streaming services were limited to Amazon Prime, Netflix uh, and then the American ones that we can't use like Hulu and that kind yeah. of thing and now we're looking at uh gosh disney plus now tv that's so true uh, you yeah. know uh, the streaming services run by like, bbc but the bbc i has now become much more of a streaming service than it used to be
1: and yeah like things being made purely for streaming um you know earlier we we're talking about like the handmaid's tale and mm. i think I, actually i might have got this wrong but certainly in the uk you can watch it on the streaming platforms and yeah, yeah I think so that's, it's hulu in
0: the u.s yeah and
1: that's a streaming platform right yeah yeah, yeah. so platform. so i feel like it's just become now that that's Almost like a sign of quality, whereas mm. I think I don't know if that was so much the case. Um, yeah, but,
0: um, but then there's been some commentary uh, recently, particularly this, I've been hearing this from some of my like my sibling was talking about this, and I've seen it on Twitter. Um, what? How? F- how is it? Kind of funnily, that streaming services were set up at Netflix. 10 years ago it set itself up as the alternative to you don't have to pay for TV channels you could just pay for one subscription service and get a whole bunch of different things so hooray we escaped from you know the the bonds of having to have sky tv or something like yeah. that and having to pay for channels well now because there's so many streaming services and everyone's muscling in all the game which is important to do since the digital world is you know you can't go back you know people don't just watch tv or their tvs anymore um, streaming services have become the new paid for channels so me and my sister talking about this, it was being like, when is it that somebody's going to come up with a service that says, right, we'll give you a discounted rate and we'll give you for 20 quid a month, we'll give you Netflix, Now TV, Amazon Prime and Disney Plus and you get all four subscriptions in mm. one package. And that's, we're already seeing that with like some phone companies and that kind of thing They give you the free subscription service. So when do we start seeing providers being the big streaming provider, you know?
1: Absolutely. And I think another interesting element of this is that, so Stranger Things comes out July 4th, which obviously is a holiday for the US, um, and a lot of people probably watch it on the day or Mm. over that weekend. Um, And although they can keep up the buzz for like a couple of months, it's not, I don't think it's ever going to be quite the same as having something come out weekly. And what's interesting in regards to this show is that, it's got a lot of there's a lot of product placement in this season mm-hmm. um they had a lot of a lot of tie-ins apparently i read an article that said that they had like over a hundred promotional tie-ins in, with um brands like levi's and yeah. um gap yeah. um uh, uh,
0: what was the other one Coke. I was thinking of? Coke, yeah,
1: yeah, and the, and
0: the that was bunch. so incongruous. I remember watching that bit in the show, being it was like,
1: really, truly weird, wasn't it? It really stood out, yeah, like, because
0: they were like, it tastes amazing, and I was like, did I honestly? I was watching it with uh, my flatmate, and I was like. Can you research if Coke had like a big rebrand in the eighties? Because I do not know what's going on.
1: And they did, right? So it it, it didn't totally feel out of place, except that the moment in which we're talking about was fairly late in the season, yeah. When like things were really going down, things were getting bad. Yeah, Al's leg was like, yeah, Al yeah. been bitten by the. And everyone was just yeah. having a little chat about Coke. So, so, but yeah, point about that being that I think it's perhaps a lot harder for them to have those deals when something's almost like a flash in the pan. Yeah. And when something comes out all at once, it always is going to be a bit. flash in the pan even if even if it's crazy popular but then on the other hand they clearly do a lot of those promotional deals because they know that shows like Stranger Things and The Crown are maybe are the shows that people that hook people into Netflix yeah so they really go full on with their promo because I guess it does bring them results,
0: like people yeah, like sign up to subscribe, yeah. and
1: maybe people unsubscribe for a bit and then re-subscribe when their favorite show comes back.
0: I mean, it's like with TV licenses. Like, I'm going to buy a TV license now because um, uh, what well, we have. Um, I need to watch *Whitewheel Blinders* and I need to also watch uh, *Strictly* and *My up Materials*. Yeah, which is an interesting one because His Dark Materials is a partnership
1: between BBC and HBO. Mm. So that's like an interesting one. But anyway, we're getting a little off topic. We Let's are. go back to
0: Stranger Things. Absolutely. Well, so the key thing is, is that Stranger Things is part of Netflix's big move. It's a juggernaut. Yeah, absolutely. So the key things about this season that I think people were interested to see was how it compares first to season one, which arguably is the best season, yeah. and then to season two, which is not bad in any way, but it did lose some of the elements that season one did so well, um, particularly which season three does too, um, the sense of. Non shared knowledge. So, groups of characters come together, as in the first season, they get to know one another. You see them moving between groups sometimes, and they collectively start to gather the knowledge about what the storyline is, what's actually happening, and you learn with them, like a choose your own adventure yeah, so or you a cut, They
1: cut between Nancy and Jonathan, who are investigating these rats and working at a newspaper, and then you have Joyce and Hopper, who are working towards we, trying to figure out what this these magnets capturing Russians yeah it's kind of unclear what their goal is actually and they also seem can I just say they seem very very unconcerned about their teenage children who in one case has been like kidnapped by monsters and in the other case is like a kind of run away from this like crazy lab yeah ever so often they're like oh I hope our kids are okay I guess they're fine. It's <laughs> and I was like, really? Yeah. But, but yeah, as you say, they all those storylines, and then they all kind of come together at the end. And I think that is done. The plotting in this season is, is just like a hundred percent on point, and yes. it's like very very effective. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you ever feel like there's one storyline that you prefer over the others. Like you're quite happy when they when they you know go over to like Steve and Robin,
0: and then when they go yeah. back to.
1: Ellen, and Mike, and and that yeah. Gang. yeah, and it works it, well. Yeah,
0: and they made an interesting choice to separate. So um, Dustin. So one of the key like things that hooks you into the hooks you into the actual series is the fact that like, have all the established couples from the last season, so now Ellen, Mike, Max, and Dw- Lucas. Nope, Lucas, I was supposed to say Dwight. I Dwight. Don't know, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Max and Lucas. And then Nancy and Jonathan, uh, and then you have you know Hopper and Joyce, and you're still being so like that kind of will happening? they, won't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you have, and then you have Dustin, who has apparently gone off on summer camp, mm-hmm. and they have that pretty funny first opening uh, opening scene where you know he comes back and it's all like uh, mysterious and suspenseful, and then it turns out the kids are just playing a prank on him. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of quite quickly gets shunted out of the group to hang out with a completely different group. So you have the core boys, actually one of them isn't that. And then within the core group of boys as well, there's a lot of um, tension too. Mm. I mean, there's, a, there's some times where Will is completely off all on his own. And then, you know, it's just Lucas and Mike. And then Dustin is, for like nine of the, or well, eight of the episodes.
1: All of them pretty much. Is separated
0: yeah. from the boys. Yeah, And I think that's a really interesting, creative decision that they made because it really helps to underpin the new characters they bring in. So this new group is made up of um, Steve, what why would
1: you name everyone's names robin steve and
0: robin erica, erica who is um lucas's little, little sister yeah yeah and then you have sort of the conspiracy guy and then the russian as well with joyce and hopper and joyce and hopper haven't hung around for such a concerted amount of time for no they have the show because
1: they've always had that chemistry but in the previous season joyce was dating um bob oh, yeah. um who who was sadly eaten by a demagogon um, yeah i was
0: very sad and
1: so yeah it's kind of a an opportunity to see the two of them together and spar, and for them actually they get a lot of like comedy they do. in a way that they definitely didn't do in previous seasons mm-hmm. because poor Joyce has obviously had like a terrible time yeah. for the past couple of seasons with various bad things happening to Will and Hopper has been very you know has been quite serious as well so it's fun to see them together and in general um, I think the season has a lot of humour and a lot of and there's a real element of fun even visually like the first series and I agree with you earlier like part of me thinks that they never needed to make another series past the first series. And they were prepared
0: not to, I think. Yeah,
1: and they almost really didn't need to, but I think what they did in this season was they kept that plotting very similar, but visually it's totally different. Like Mm. it's really bright, 80s fashion, big hair, like bright coloured clothing, yeah. um, there's a fun fair, it's summer, there's like lots of blue sky and that's very different from the first series which is very grey and overcast mm-hmm. and and also a lot darker because you, ultimately you've got the fact that this
0: boy is missing and presumed dead which is very grim yeah. and dark. You know? Yeah and a lot of the action takes place at night, doesn't know I spook you. So you're definitely, like they've, um, they've gone through the growing pains and they've adjusted the show to become a bit more of a focus on what is really... The linchpin of the show, which is the kids and their relationship, Like, we're all here to watch them all grow up now at this point. So, I think they, what they've done is, yeah, it definitely makes sense why they would choose to do that. And it's a more, it's more like action adventure now than it was kind of like spooky mystery horror. Yeah,
1: and and yeah, your your point about like separating Dustin from the group also allows for. I mean, in the previous season, they obviously ended up with this, like, really fun kind of relationship between Dustin Mm -hmm. and Steve, Mm -hmm. uh, who was this really unlikely pairing and ended up, like, really bonding and have a kind of almost, like, father-son, like, brotherly kind of relationship, which is really fun to watch. Um, But I think maybe what you were assigned to say, the fact that by having Dustin be part of that group, it maybe warms you to, like, these new characters as well because it's like, okay, they very much feel part of the group. And I also think that... um, Maya Hawke who plays Robin fits into the group like so easily like so seamlessly which is a credit like partly to her acting and her charm but also to like again the writing that they they didn't just add a new character for the sake of it they were like we know what we're doing here whereas I do think Billy and Max who play a much more prominent role in this series and are both fantastic but I do think in the second season they maybe struggled to like work out how to get them integrated in the group and make it work it
0: felt a bit more random yeah particularly when the kind of particularly when Max was kind of used as the other girl, you know, because the boys were all kind of fighting over her and then Elle, yeah. there was some sense that like Elle was worried, you know, that Max, and then there was a scene in it which everyone did really like right at the end of season two where Max was like, oh my God, I've, I've heard so much about you, I'm Max, and Elle just ignores her. And you're like, she's meant to be like an anti-socialized, traumatized, uh, telepathic young woman. <laughs> How has she learned social behaviours to be jealous of other girls? Yeah, like, that doesn't make any sense. It's
1: so true, and I, and I think you know that doesn't it doesn't track with her like she's generally always been very warm and open and friendly. Like although as you say, she's obviously got this this trauma that does sometimes impact that. But yeah, apparently Millie Bobby Brown and um, Sadie uh, Sink, Sadie Sink, yeah, really pushed because apparently they're friends in real life, and they really pushed for that to be an element of the show mm. in season three, and it is in a really satisfying and fun way. You see them kind of. Join up forces um, because of various boy problems that they're having, and um, Max is like, Oh, there's more to life than stupid boys, and takes her shopping, and there's a fun like shopping montage. Yeah,
0: and I think that's one really great thing the show does. I mean, we're going to talk about this now actually, and we can tie this in also with the routine the relationship between. Um, Jonathan and um, Nancy. Nancy which is growing and also Nancy and her mother mm-hmm. to start with Max and Elle I think you're completely right um, you know what they do is they separate her way away from uh, from Mike and they're saying right well you know she's needs. What kind of thing do you want Elle to be doing? What's going to make her happy? And it's like female friendships are so important to portray on screen. And I like the fact that they bothered to do that in terms of like, they said Max and Elle are separated out together for at least two episodes. Yeah. Just literally having a sleepover. There's a scene where they read Wonder Woman comics. Yeah. And Max is there being like, yeah, Wonder Woman's great.
1: Yeah. And she's like, you need to stop hanging out with boys all the time because you yeah. don't like, you don't know anything about this amazing like female role
0: model. You yeah. Know? And then when, um, you know, Hopper finds them sitting on the floor
1: reading
0: yeah. a manga, reading comics especially not magazines, like, like, Max is herself, like, not a tomboy, I don't want to use that kind of language because, you know, you don't need to say she's boyish, but she has interesting traits about her that are not just, like, classic, you know, teenage girl. They actually have her skateboarding and, um, you know, having some, like, family problems, and she's always been a bit more no-nonsense, I think. So she's a really interesting character for Elle to talk to, and then to see more of her character, and being, like, she likes to read comics, and she likes to listen to music, and to dance, and to, you know, muck around with Lucas by breaking up with him all the time and you know and then you see some great scenes between her and the other boys like when she makes fun of them and that kind of thing because she's getting that friendship with. Yeah,
1: her. she seems a lot more like a, a friend to all of them. And, and yeah, I agree, it was fun to see that aspect of her. And I think they easily could have been like, oh, she gives her a makeover and yeah. it's all very girly. But actually it's not because they're both like interesting characters who are yeah. defined by a variety of, of things. And Elle already had that weird let's
0: get a makeover thing when she became super grunt. Yes, and that
1: was really stupid think Everyone seems to have like forgotten about that, maybe understandably. but it was like a gas leak episode. But that was... Um, Yeah, and of course they end up... I think they very seamlessly do this, actually, the whole time where they they have like a fun kind of like slightly frothy thing such as um l using her powers to go into her weird void to like spy on the boys yeah. and then they have like a kind of wheel with all the names of all the guys that they know and then one of them being billy and she yeah. goes and spies on him and then sees kind of what's actually going on plot wise mm. and that similarly happens when dustin um uses his an- antennae thing that he's built mm. to try and speak to his camp girlfriend and ends up like picking up on this russian spy stuff uh, i think they did that really well of like having something fun and to bring it back to the storyline but but yeah I totally agree I think it was really fun to see Max and Elle's friendship and I think that was established very yeah just like in a really
0: fun and like very easy way yeah and it's really important to do because there are women in the show and there have been actually quite a lot of them if you consider there is um, there's Joyce Nancy uh, Joyce there's Nancy and then there's uh, Mrs. Wheeler Mrs. Wheeler that's her name um, and you have a couple of mothers and then there's also now Max and Erica, Erica as well. and Robin and Robin. So you know all these women are there as they would be because women exist. So having them portray these female friendships properly is really important. it was a really powerful scene I thought. So Nancy, her main storyline right now is trying to make it in the working world. Um, with Jonathan, basically, and you know, Jonathan is, you know, this kind of artsy photographer boy who just kind of does what she wants, basically that's kind of his character right now Um, in this newspaper, this male-dominated newspaper where they make fun of her all the time and it's become subsumed to the fact that there's literal evil in the in the the town but at the beginning you definitely see her struggling with the trials of being ignored and Mm -hmm. having her attempts to be independent her attempts to like be taken seriously reduced to don't do what you're not supposed to do make coffee please um and then you know she has this difficult time where she starts thinking to herself you know i actually i I, i'm crazy to do this like i'm just reachless i can't bother and then she goes to her mum who we have seen throughout the series struggling in an unhappy marriage yeah still and trying to kind of, it's more backseat but you see her trying to consider what she wants to do with her life and yeah. her dissatisfaction and then she has to sit and then they sit and they talk and they don't talk about anything but the fact that it's Nancy's career and what she wants to do and what their place is in the world. And actually it's so unusual to see the conversation between a mother and a daughter I actually thought about it. I can't really think of so many times when a mother sat down and be like, Right, here's some career advice for you. You need to keep going. You're really, really smart and yeah. you're really powerful and you need to tell them you need to just, you know, keep going. And like I actually don't think I've seen a scene like that. No. Which is actually shows you that it, it's like Wonder Woman, you know, how we said that it was amazing to see a woman doing these physical this this physical acting. Yeah. Seeing the two of them talking about just Nancy's career. And not men or anything like that. Literally, Nancy's career and their relationship as mother and daughter.
1: Absolutely, and as you say, that was given as much weight, uh, if not more weight, than if it had been a conversation about like boy troubles. Mm. And also, Mrs. Wheeler's storyline, which again is very cleverly kind of tied into the actual main like monster plot, um, is is her kind of questioning her marriage, but also really more like her her life and Mm. like what she's doing and her purpose. And a lot of that is actually done wordlessly. Like a lot of it's like just like her pondering. And they're brief scenes in, in the in the grand scheme of things, but they are powerful and they do stick with yeah. you. And I think, and then of course, it was also really nice to see her talking to Nancy. So I don't think we've really seen them even communicate since like the first season, but it, you know, cause in the first season they have quite a lot of conversations about, uh, you know, the fact that Nancy's kind of rebelling a little bit by yeah. dating Steve and stuff, but it's, you know, brief. So it was really nice to see that fleshed out. Um, yeah. And I also completely agree about, yeah, seeing, you know, Nancy trying to succeed at work and. There was an interesting moment where... So Nancy's family have kind of been established as more, you know, more kind of, um, I guess, more wealthy and, like,
0: you know... White collar, that's the term, isn't it? Um,
1: is that the term? White, white collar, color?
0: blue collar. Yeah, 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 no, I guess you're so right. So white yeah. collar is, like, above blue collar. Yeah,
1: so uh, whereas Jonathan's family have been established from the beginning as being, like, quite poor mm. and, and having those kind of issues. And, and at school... Nancy was was like quite popular and well liked and Jonathan was like more of the outsider mm. but what's interesting is in the working world like Jonathan is very quickly accepted because he's man mm-hmm. whereas Nancy is having to really prove herself and they have like a kind of argument along those lines and I just thought it was like quite cleverly underpinning how the fact that like Nancy being a woman was just was just made it very hard for her and of mm. course this is the 80s as well it was even more difficult than today um, but also it was it was a kind of argument that like a couple would have like it yeah. wasn't like a silly argument to, like force them apart. It was actually like a, these that we both got these issues that we have yeah. to like come up against, and there isn't necessarily an easy answer.
0: Yeah, I love that argument they had in the car as well. So do yeah, do we want to talk about Jonathan and Nancy a bit. You know, they've always had a very like since they got together in like the end of season season two Mm. and even during the season they always had a very like balanced relationship in that Jonathan is like supportive and is like and then Nancy's very like enthusiastic and they 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 you know they they match up really well yeah and I always thought that like Jonathan was great because he always he always believed everybody when they said crazy things he supports his mom he supports his girlfriend he's a great guy but still, you know, he has a lot on his plate in terms of what he had to deal with. And there's a, that's he in the car where they're arguing about, you know, he's saying, Nancy went too far and she's being like, you won't support me, you think I'm crazy. Mm. And then she's, he, you know, she's right in suggesting that you're saying that oh, I'm a woman and I, I can't do what I want. And then he says in return too, well, you just think that everything's going to work out for you because it always has so far. And it never has always worked out for me to so think about me a bit, like you're being selfish. Yeah. And I think Nancy has suffered from that in the past in, in pursuing what she wants. She also ends up sh- shafting Jonathan sometimes. Yeah. And but then, and they're having this conversation, and you're there, and then they, she leans against the window, <laughs> and she, he's like, maybe we on onside each other then. And she's like, yeah maybe we won't understand each other and it was so funny to me because I was like these are two teenagers struggling with a bit of a difficult part in their relationship but they're still being so self like self-pitying you know it's so because obviously it'll be fine but it's just funny that both of them are like yeah maybe we aren't good together maybe we're not and I, I really like that sense of like it's still coming down to their relationship it's they're both young yeah and they're both sort of stupid teenagers so I like that little that little kind of like pettiness in there as well. I thought it maybe it made it kind of nice and it made it more realistic to me, you know, it's like the over dramaticness.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and yeah, I think they've they also had like a couple of we mentioned like a couple of new characters, yeah, um, and that since there were some like new kind of pairings. Mm. Um, so in so Steve is also struggling with the working world, but in the context of the fact that he didn't get into college yeah. and he's not really sure what he's doing with his life, and he's working in this ice cream parlour in this new mall with the mall is like a big part of the show as a setting yeah. um, and as a bit of a side note apparently they literally renovated this old mall and like they took like real shops that would have been in like an 80s mall and like put them in this fallen down atlanta mall um, wow and they completely kitted each of the shops out because they didn't know which- um, They were gonna walk into. Yeah, they didn't because the director at that point, I guess, hadn't decided what, where he wanted them all to go. And there was this whole candle shop, apparently, that was like a Yankee Candle store, oh. which you never saw on screen. But they probably spent like weeks months, you know, kidding out, like that's how much... um...
0: But I guess also then it gives you the sense, right, that the show extends beyond the walls of the screen. Yeah. You know, like it's all around you. But I love that they did that actually. The mall was like a really, and also had a really unsettling presence because you see the businesses in the local Hawkins businesses closing down, including Joyce's um, hardware. Shop, yeah, they have some stuff, they have random things there, and that gives Joyce the space to just be in the shop on her own, sort of like doing math equations and helping Hopper with his like daughter troubles, which I think is was good because we couldn't have Joyce, it wouldn't have fit Joyce to have like work problems, it had to be a bit more like low key because there wouldn't have been the time to deal with it in the show. Um, and yeah, and then some of the new characters that we kind of face include you know Robin, who is kind of like not the new Nancy that's wrong, but she is Steve's next sort of like female companion yeah
1: and she's um, she's she's presented as being like more kind of like alternative than Nancy yeah. um, in that she's like she's not immediately in awe of Steve yeah as he as he clearly has always experienced in the past yeah and she teases him a lot um, but she's also clearly really clever and interesting she says that she's fluent in many languages yeah um and uh, Dustin, when he meets her is straight away, is like, oh, she's super cool. But Steve's like, nah, she's like a geek, you know. But Steve's kind of storyline has obviously taken a real turn over the, the, the three seasons mm-hmm. of going from this like high school bully jock kind of character to like a really endearing
0: a dad of five children yeah, a
1: babysitter in the second season and then actually really kind of helping dustin through various issues but actually in this season it's more like dustin helping him isn't it like having him see clearly
0: yeah and i think steve's storyline is important because it's bringing him down to earth you know it's yeah. like actually dealing with the, the things that he feels inadequate and you know he's unsure what he wants to do with his life and you know and Steve's greatest qualities have been his protectiveness and his capability to like deal with a problem you know like he follows he falls into it head-on he's actually quite selfless like he helps people like he tried really hard to help Nancy even yeah. when they would broken up so I think that's what's great about him so to have him paired up with um, Robin I think is great because you know you know she isn't in awe of him, sure, but then she's bringing out a different side to him. Yeah. And I think again, we, I, you know, Maya Hawke, so the daughter of Stephen, not the <laughs> <Stephen Hawking>, no. <laughs> daughter of Tony Hawke, Stephen Hawking, the daughter of Tony Hawke. No, Who is e- it? Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, the actor. Ethan Hawke. There's Hawk. so yeah. many Hawks. Ethan Hawke and um, Uma Thurman. Yeah. Yes, great. Um, she has a really interesting role in the first off because you know she is kind of young and interesting and a slightly more a different kind of teenage girl. Nancy, so showing there is there is variation in how teenage girls are, Um, and uh, particularly because she seemingly makes a choice for the character. We think the the story is that Maya Hawke pushed her character, who was being set up as a romantic partner for Steve, to actually be um, at least by it's not completely explicit what it is, but she makes this confession that rather than staring at Steve in class and lasting after him, she's actually in love with a girl who's in love with Steve.
1: Yeah, and that was an interesting one because I think one thing that's been a common thread in Stranger Things is that couples form out of like I think they even say it in the second season, like couples format of almost shared trauma of yeah. like fighting monsters, um, but like basically they end up being paired off with somebody that they're working together to solve the case with, yeah. and it seems like that's exactly where they're going with Robin's character. And then there's this whole scene where she says that she used to stare at him in class. And I remember when I watched that, being a bit like, oh, it's a bit... Like, it felt like a cop-out. Like, it, it did feel a bit weird. I was like, why is she talking about this? And it, yeah. although it, they had good chemistry in it, they seemed to get on it. just didn't quite sit right that she would have, like, been staring at him in class, right? Mm. And then in the previ- in the next episode, there's this really powerful and incredibly well-acted and, like directed scene where the two of them having just had like weird russians Troop truth serum yeah. which is a whole other thing and they've been like g- you know had this whole like very crazy stuff series of events happen to them but they end up in alone and they talk about um because i think steve kind of starts to be like oh actually like maybe i do like you and then she's like no she's me sorry you. uh and what you just said she explains like what's really going on and yeah apparently um according to like articles that we read like it was my hawk who pushed for that and was like that's that well, representation yeah. needs to be there and also it just that feels
0: right for the character I think is yeah what she felt. so absolutely and I think it is very interesting because then you get to see right so she's not coming out officially but it's more like what happens when you tell one of your friends or somebody you've experienced severe trouble with um that you may or may not be um, gay or L- LGBTQ plus um, and I think it's really interesting that they actually they did that because then it gives you the chance to see a reaction yeah and it's a similar thing which I had a problem with. Um, ooh, dear Simon, do you remember uh, we talked about this? We have talked about this on the podcast, um, so uh, flip, flip back if you are intrigued by this discussion to one of our past episodes. Um, I remember when his friends found out he was gay because he was outed by somebody, mm. uh, and he'd been kind of using different ways of lying, he'd been lying and using different smoke screens to hide it. Mm. A lot of the rea- reaction of one of his best friends who'd been in love with him the whole time was, you betrayed kind of you remember she was like you betrayed me and more angry at you for yeah, lying. Yeah, it was it was a, strange, wasn't it? Yeah, and we were a bit like, well, yeah, I understand that they're trying to have drama, but equally, I don't know, they were mates like you're hiding a very big scary thing you're kind of allowed a bit of a pass.
1: Especially because he was outed in this, like, way that was completely outside of his control. Mm. So, yeah, and what's really kind of, um, wonderful in Stranger Things is how Steve reacts. Yeah. And they show it almost, like, playing out on his face. Mm. You know, this sort of, like, wait... Because it takes him a while to, to, yeah. to twig it, what she's saying. And then there's a bit of a pause, and, <clears throat> and you really get the sense of, like, for her it's just so scary because she doesn't know how he's going to respond. And then he's just, like oh Tammy Thompson like she's not even that fit or whatever like something along those lines and immediately you, there's this like kind of sense of like release yeah yeah of like you know he he doesn't be like oh but I loved you which is basically what the character did in Love, Simon she mm. was like how could you do this like I like you and instead he's like okay that's how she
0: feels And it, it's yeah I mean I might have just like admitted my love for you kind of like misguidedly but that doesn't mean you could be a dick and be like well you've betrayed you let you know you've rejected me you know yeah. and it's really funny how then you know he starts singing like her and you know again like you're you're aligning yourself with somebody he does he aligns himself with her and is like oh my god you like her oh come on like you can do way better than that yeah. and not because she's a girl but because Tammy is like whatever um which I think was really great and um I mean there's a scene later in the end of the film where so where one a character is like oh but you know are you just doing this because you like him are you just helping him out because you like him and she was like yeah no there's a fondness on her face so we don't really know where that's going to go no and but- I
1: think yeah, it's it's at the end. Obviously, so they work at the mall. The mall burns down. Also, can I just say I love how we've like totally ignored the actual plot of oh. the monster. Oh, we've yeah. just been talking about the characters, but no, that's understandable. But yeah, the mall that they're working in is no more. Um, so they go find a job at a video store, and they still have like a really cute kind of back and forth. Yeah. But it could purely just be platonic, and I think they it, leave it, it
0: that c- way in a way that's very satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And whatever they choose to do with that relationship, the key thing is that is that I mean, again, like as you know two white cis women you know uh, representation is something that you know we can only not we can't speak to in terms of that particular form of representation like is Robin's character representative for somebody who is like her I don't know but personally like she's on there she's out there that confession was made and then the reaction was on screen and also, there's an interesting little side as well, which we um, had kind of talked about before I watched the episode with Robin saying, oh, I like this girl, yeah. actually. Where um, there is a, a, a kind of like a heated interchange between Will and um, Mike. Mike. When Will's like, we don't play d and anymore, and it's raining, and I was like, ugh. <laughs> um, and... She, she's like you all have girlfriends and like what am i supposed to do and then will's like it's not my fault you don't like girls and then what i whatever whatever no Schnapp was told to do with his face and what he chose to do with his face there is a sense of well what is that where what has how does, how does this accusation hit him
1: yeah you know? because in in the group you've got like yeah um mike and L who are very like loved up um and then you've got like Lucas and Max who have a much more kind of like teenage relationship relationship, which is much more realistic I think than the sort of like star-crossed lovers element of like Mike and Elle but either way they're both kind of like preoccupied with girls and for Will he's just not interested in that Mm. and one thing that is like really heartbreaking about Will's storyline is that you know he's had he was like kidnapped and lived in that upside down for like (laughs) however long (laughs) and then he was possessed so during all that time when his friends were still kids he was like taken away from that yeah um and now he you know so one of the ways in which you could read that in that exchange is that will's just actually not really there yet and like he still wants to be a kid and he's not interested in girls and that or you could definitely read it that actually like he's maybe interested in boys and Mm. like that's it is left very kind of open isn't it in that mm. scene that exchange
0: um, yeah and I like that I mean I have absolutely no idea how they're doing it it'd be interesting what they choose to do um but I certainly saw in Noah Schnapp's face a sense of like panic yeah, yeah um and it could be the actor's choice to do that um and I also quite like how I hope they don't do this as well so far there's been no like you know, confession that one of the boys likes one of the boys in the group because, like, again, I mean, who knows? But that does feel a bit, like, simplistic to talk about the way in which that, like, young gay people discover their sexuality. <coughs> Sorry. So, I thought was very... Essentially, I think, I, I did go into the season season one is more representation. There are women, there are people of colour... All these kind of things. I guess there kind of always more can be done and other people will talk speak more to that than I guess that we can but I did go in being like oh it would be nice if there was an LGBTQ plus representation or some kind of storyline that talks about that because you know not everybody is straight so even a show like this where you might say oh well everyone did we really talk about it back then so they don't need to that's a cop out for me. So yeah. I'm glad there were these little even if they just hints or small things. Yeah. Agreed
1: and I think um I did see some people be like oh you know Steve as this like especially with everything we know about him and being of that era would never have been so open to that confession but I totally disagree with that because I thought, you know obviously they've painted Steve as like the best person ever Um, and yeah, I think, you know it was a private moment between the two of them and I just think it was like, you know it was really well handled and it seemed very realistic to mm. me that he would be that accepting and it was just like really like lovely to watch yeah um, it really was so yeah i think all of those yeah i completely agree all those moments were done really well and one thing i just wanted to pick up on it is your slip of the tongue earlier when you called it a movie oh yeah and i think it's actually it's incredibly cinematic this mm. this season for one thing it's set over maybe like a couple of days Yeah, so. Paul, Robin, and Steve literally wear the same outfit for the entire show. Yeah. But aside from the very last scene where they're in at this movie store and they and they are wearing normal clothes, uh, which is really funny, especially for Steve because it again really brings him down to earth because he's like this like hot popular guy. <laughs> he's dressed as a sailor. Dressed as a sailor has to wear this like terrible hat. Um. So yeah, that's very funny. Uh, but also, I just think it it's really well plotted, like a movie, and it's got that those that kind of like five act structure and that plays plays um really effectively um and yeah so what did you think
0: of the monster element oh yeah so yeah a plotline chat actually um i think that given what they could have done they made a good choice by bringing in Billy, and the guy playing Billy, who has a funny name. Da- D'Ackray Montgomery, yes. I think? Da- yeah. I'm yeah. not sure if I'm he, saying I've right seen him in Power Rangers first, and he's so good action hero in that. So in this, he's so unsettling. Yeah. And he's a fantastic actor, so honestly go on him. And I've seen some like content from Millie Boy Brown talking about how like the scene they had to act together was incredibly like difficult for her to do because you know she's being strangled by her on point, and apparently he like was so professional. And yeah. So go, go, down, go you're great. Um, so I think he was so key in making that work. You know, making the kind of like unsettlingness of the fact that the upside down monster has been trapped outside, and the Russians. I mean, if it was just the Russians open up the gap again, I would have been like, okay, the Russians are doing it now. So. But instead, the idea that the real problem is not that the Russians are opening the gate, it's the problem is that the monster is still around devouring people. Mm. Um, and it's quite dis- you know, it's quite a lot of like death, and at the end, you think about the fact that like all of the people the monster consumed are literally all dead, and it kills Billy in a very, very, very traumatic, yeah. like, dark way. So I think that storyline works very well because it could have slipped into being like a bit like, oh, the monster's back. <laughs> so we'll see what they do in season four. Um especially the scene in the hospital where Nancy and Jonathan are being chased by it and then it kinda of like consumes itself into one and then it like and then the humans the the adults are around also like uh, the adults being used as weapons as well. Yeah. Um and it's also infecting like pl- the higher political echelons of the community yeah, as well. Yeah,
1: there's a political storyline yeah. too.
0: And then you have Kerry Yules playing the crazy mayor. Yeah. And you are like, Oh hey Kerry Ewells. <laughs> I think um for what it was, it was it was a good a good plot. Like it didn't seem unbelievable. Um but it also was disgusting enough that it also worked, like with the creepy, the, the rats exploding and stuff.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I think they, I mean, uh, there's a lot, as usual in Stranger Things, there's a lot of, um, uh, uh, what's the word? <laughs> references that's it mm. to movies and tv and the main kind of um references here are definitely more like horror yeah. rather than like um sort of sci-fi which yeah. is maybe what it was before um and you're right there are some truly like quite like horrifying moments like one of the um, the fellow lifeguard who um oh, yeah. billy has also um like taken as one of his people um like they kind of attack her parents and like yeah it's quite dark um but i think uh I agree he carries it like he's an amazing performer and I think that is really skillful. Yeah. Um and I think also it what he it works as a a change from it just being like Will who's the person who's just like, taken
0: by it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: although I will say to kind of quickly swing back to Will's character he is kind of maybe purposefully but he is very much like Um, out of the limelight yeah and they do have like a lot of characters on this show so giving everyone the time to shine is maybe like a bit tricky um but yeah i I completely agree i really thought that was well done and it's interesting because i did have a few conversations with a few people who were like oh i didn't like the first couple of episodes Mm. before the monster stuff happens because they found it a bit they weren't interested in watching the kind of high school yeah stuff um but then they were like oh yeah once that started i thought it was really well done um and yeah i really enjoyed as usual all the references and like the whole back to the future bit is really fun yeah um, and the way they use the music um that's that was really
0: exciting to watch absolutely and i think the fun the fun fair was a good like set piece
1: yeah as definitely. well like
0: it, was, it, it reminds me very much of it i mean i think stranger things and it the, the movie are going to be constantly combined mm. in terms of the fact they share some actors mm. um, and they share a lot of themes and uh, actual, like, you know, uh, like the the looks and the setup and the, the set itself of the movie and of Stranger Things is quite similar. So uh, theme park had very, like, it reminiscent um, ideas because there was a theme park in it too. Yeah. And I think that also really helps to bind them both together into what they're trying to do. Um, and it shows they both have the right kind of... Um, the right kind of what's the word atmosphere
1: yeah and i think that the thing about a theme park in the same way as like the concept of a clown is it's got that like element of of like fun but also then there's this potentially like sinister sinister undertones yeah. and when is he called Alexei? yeah Alexei, the russian. Yeah, the russian um the like good russian who like the friend gets um, killed by the terminator. he gets killed by the terminator guy <laughs> um it in, was literally just the
0: Terminator. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But, like, in the funfair, which, like, adds this really kind of, like, tragicomic element yeah. to that. Um, and he was also a great actor, I thought. Um, what well, yeah. not... Mate, the Terminator guy was fine, but he was just a Terminator guy. But, no, the Alexi, like... Because yeah. he has um, an interesting plot line. And, and I liked how they did bring the kind of Cold War... Stuff, yeah. ...stuff into it, because, you know, the Russians were the villain in all those movies mm. of that period. So that was um, cleverly done. And... As a final point, perhaps, is
0: Hopper dead? Oh, well, I have two points. Is oh, Hopper dead? Yeah. Has L lost her powers? Right. Hopper and those is are not the dead. Two, the two, cli- the yes. uh, Hopper yeah. is not dead. He's in a Russian prison. Yeah. Yeah. Like I agree. come on. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but I like the fact that they did kill. They always, they always kill. Um, they always kill one person at the end, and then they come back. So yeah. it was L, and then it was Sue died at the end of season two. Well, last season, I guess they didn't come back because it was. Well,
1: unless we can't Will. So Will obviously came back. Oh, so there's a whole, like, um, conspiracy theory thing oh, I read gosh. online. Well, not really conspiracy theory. The weird thing is, is I actually picked up on this myself. Oh. So I think it's the last scene where they're saying goodbye to, um... Everybody, yeah, everyone you? who's moving so it ends with like Joyce moving everyone away which is fair enough because like enough bad things have happened in Hawkins. Taking yeah. Elle
0: was a bit unfair but who else was she going to go with?
1: Yeah it made sense that she would go with her but one of the song they're playing in the background is a cover of Heroes by yeah. David Bowie um, and that song was also used to great effect in the first season when they take what they think is Will's body out the lake. And I remembered that because like, it was such a kind of moving moment and it was really like shocking because when I watched that back in the day, I didn't, you know, I was like, maybe he really has died, you know? So I remembered that music. So I read online someone making the same point. It was like in an article where they said, of course, Will wasn't really dead. And... Neither therefore is probably Hopper, I and mean, we we all know he's not anyway.
0: But like maybe that music, so I was signaling that, signaling it. Ah, yeah. I think so. I think Hopper will be back. Also, there's some. I read some theories about the fact that he's growing his beard. Yeah. the harbour In preparation, and I saw him also uh, on his Instagram uh, showing off a beard, uh, like a fake beard. That was like, which one's different? So I think possibly they have that beard made up in case he has to shave it off for the new for his different scenes. They want to go yeah. back and reshoot some things. So. I think that that bit is there because he's going to be in a Russian prison. Um, and I think Elle's powers are going to come back maybe halfway through the next season. Like she would have them for a while.
1: Yeah, which was, I think that's an interesting development because it has always been that she does her kind of like puts her hand out and like furrows her eyebrows. Are, and then it's done. Yeah. And then everything's sorted. And I think it was a way of like being like, actually, how, what can they do when they have to come together without just relying on her? Is this, is this like superhuman who can
0: figure it all out? And also, you know, when Elle was kind of forced, they tried to make her leave and then she couldn't leave because the guy had taken, you know, there was this crazy bit where like, you know, a billion. Was in his car being like, oh, I'm gonna run you over, yeah. and I was like, Oh my god. Um, where she tried to be like, Let me help, I can do it, and they're like, You're, you're doing too much, can you need to stop. Yeah, and then she ends up, you know, nearly getting killed as always. So maybe it's an interesting thing about Elle's forced to be properly vulnerable, like she can't just hide behind the powers. But there's that they definitely left it open ended because obviously, by having them move, well, number
1: one, they never say where they actually move to, yeah, so it could literally be down the road. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's not, but the it's, they kept it very, very vague. Um, and also they they leave it with them being like, oh, maybe we'll come back at Thanksgiving or come back at Christmas. And I think that sets it up quite nicely for them to have a season set at Christmas or Thanksgiving Ooh. next year, perhaps, or maybe the year after, depending on the time frame. But yeah, I think that... Or oh, the other thing, or the other clue that David Harbour has done on his Instagram is he apparently he keeps changing his like, avatar, like, different numbers. Ooh. And the numbers make up a phone number that you can ring. And if you ring it, that's like, so why I obviously haven't done this because, like, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't feel like I need to do this and also it's a US thing. But if you ring it, um, you get the conspiracy theory man, journalist guy, I can't remember his name, but who is, who joins up with Hopper and Joyce. Mm. He's, like, does a little answering machine where he's like, hi, if this is Joyce, I have something to tell you. Like, it might be I think I've found something out. So that's very much hinting that
0: Ooh.
1: But that's also interesting that they're setting all of that up because are they setting that up because they're actually planning to release this season sooner than we think? I don't know, maybe they're filming it already and there's not about saying. I mean they could be because Again, if we, you know, what you mentioned at the beginning about the fact that the child actors are obviously growing up, like, I presume they can't leave it too long. Otherwise, they are going to be kind of adults yeah, and also have other stuff they might want to doing.
0: Oh. So, who knows? Wow. On that conspiracy theory <laughs> note, <I think laughs> so many theories. Will, I think we will uh, wrap this discussion up. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll move on. But I think generally, yeah, we
1: enjoyed it. If you haven't checked it out, then obviously you should.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot. There's a lot to be said, and obviously there's a lot of content to be drawn from it as we've. Found out. Yeah, of
1: this discussion. <laughs> yeah, and I do know a few people who kind of quit during the second season. They felt it was a bit unrealistic. So maybe if you did do that, well, obviously it is unrealistic anyway. But if you did do that, perhaps you could like jump back in. Jump back see in. How you yeah. Feel. Yeah. Well. All right.
0: All right, so let's jump into our usual uh, segment on kind of things that have been going on in the pop culture world and things that we've been enjoying. Uh, we just kind of wanted to flag a couple of things, as just that have been coming out recently that yeah. we think are quite interesting. So to start with, uh, maybe in terms of the title of books, um, the Testaments. Has just come out by Margaret Atwood, so yeah. the, the long-awaited, long-awaited. I think the demanded of Margaret Atwood by her publishers' <laughs> sequel <laughs> to *The Handmaid's Tale*. The Handmaid's Tale. *Handmaid's Tale*. Sorry, yeah. Um, I've never been a huge Margaret Atwood. I've never read any of her books. I will admit to this, but I am appreciative of her talent, just like Hilary Mantel. Mm. Very appreciative of the fact that they're both very, very, very good writers, um, and that *The Handmaid's Tale* is itself a great a book and has spawned a giant show as well.
1: Yeah. And now a sequel. It's a cultural it's a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, um, and so I've read The Handmaid's Tale. I haven't read any other books by Margaret. Oh no that's not true. I read um Alias Grace. Books, yeah, yeah, which I really enjoyed. I would almost say I enjoyed more in some ways. Um and The Handmaid's Tale, part of what makes it so the book makes it so um arresting is you're like inside the mind of this woman yeah and you don't and what you learn about the world that she's living in is all through her yeah what i've heard about the testaments is that expands that world in the way that the tv series has also done out of necessity yeah also i for for transparency i watched the first season of the handmaid's tale i found it incredibly um like engaging and disturbing clinical yeah. measures um but actually never watched beyond that and i think it was kind of just because it was so heavy mm. um that i just never quite felt in the right frame of mind after again yeah like it was so i used to have to watch it in like you know a saturday at like 11 a.m when i was about to go out and do something fun afterwards yeah. to like distract myself from yeah. like how depressing it was um but also i feel like I did hear from people who did carry on watching it that it maybe slightly lost its focus a little bit. However, it's had it is a cultural movement and it's had this like impact. You know, you see it in politics, you see it mm. in um, other fiction and movies that have come out, and like it's constantly referenced. And I was listening to um, Pandora Sykes, who's a journalist, talking about um, the Testaments on her podcast, the High Low Show, mm-hmm. and she was talking about um the fact that perhaps one of the one of the things that might have been an impetus for margaret atwood to write the book was to almost like reclaim the narrative Mm. of the story and reclaim the kind of wider world because the testaments does apparently open up gilead and tell you a bit more about the different aspects of how it works um and that's something that the tv show has kind of touched upon but Mm. apparently the testaments itself doesn't totally um do totally kind of follow the show in terms of some of those like elements of like how different characters stories develop and things like that um yeah so i don't think she was saying and i don't think i'm saying either that like margaret atwood is not happy with the show or not happy with the fact that it's become this like cultural and political icon yeah because uh, i'm sure that's amazingly you know, what she wants but i think it is interesting because it does kind of bring back the power to like the book yeah and it's interesting from kind of like a publishing standpoint um in that it's like to get the true story of *The Handmaid's Tale*, you've got to read the book. Mm. I wonder if there'll be like people picking up the Testaments. You haven't even read *The Handmaid's Tale* yeah. because *The Handmaid's Tale*, the first book, does follow the um, first, first series series like relatively closely. There are some diversions, but generally, like you get the same thing from both.
0: Whereas clearly, the Testaments, you get something different, which is mm. interesting. Absolutely, and I agree with. I think, I again, I haven't read it, I don't intend to read it because Margaret Atwood, a fantastic writer as she is, and in particular what she's good at is this political, not satire, but these very political writings like George Orwell. Mm. You know, like I think The Handmaid's Tale and The Testament Testament stand out because people have been writing on slogans, you know, this is the new Gilead when it comes to women's rights, abortion rights, that kind of thing. Um, And actually, that's what I think she does really, really well. Unfortunately not really my cup of tea, but I can appreciate it, um, but you know, you're right in terms of the publishing world, they have a lot more power in this book release than they ever normally do, you yeah. know, books can are not marketable in the same way that films and TV shows are, a lot of the time authors are responsible for their own marketing, and you know, there isn't a lot of more they can do, so to see a book like this basically take off by itself, and you know, they have, been, they have run a great campaign, um, but you know, the the very iconic looking cover for the testaments was released I think at like at least six months ago. Yeah. With the green and the hat and then the hat and the shape of the hat itself has become synonymous with like abortion rights when it comes to, you know, people going to rallies dressed in the handmaid's
1: Yeah, sort and of protesting outfit. against women's rights and, and women role being suppressed in the way that it yeah, is in the show absolutely. yeah absolutely so I think
0: it's really interesting to see how the much cultural power this book has and basically it marketed I the team did a very good job but it's market very very marketable and it's literally just a book about literally women being used as farm basically like baby farms and is that basically it? yeah that's yeah. essentially kind of the concept yeah which yeah. is kind of like Kazuo Ishiguro's never let me go
1: yeah I, I suppose so like there's definitely a similarity um yeah and i mean margaret atwood has said herself that nothing happens in either book that
0: has not happened at some point to women yeah. across history at, in some at yeah. some time and that kind of book right written by this like you know this very very established writer you know she's written loads of different things um, that book is what is the cultural zeitgeist of the times right now that book is what everyone is talking about it's a book written by a woman about women's abortion rights and women's rights and it's dystopian yeah and, and it's, it's miserable of,
1: it's top of the charts yeah it's really interesting and um you know they had like the big um publishing opening party that's not the right word like you know what i mean like the, the day that it the opened. Book launch, yeah. book launch that's it um, <laughs> And there were people queuing outside Waterstone's Piccadilly Circus, like, dressed in the outfit. Which part of me found slightly strange, Mm. like, just because I very much understand, like, dressing up in that costume to highlight political injustice mm. but to just sort of I mean I presume a cosplay I guess that's kind of what people were doing they were like obviously doing it to just show solidarity book, but yeah. Um, yeah it was amazing I mean I think it was like comparable to like you know Harry Potter Midnight Launch it's not something mm. that you see that happened that often anymore no. and no. when it happened with like Harry Potter or even like Philip Pullman's books it didn't have that kind of political undertone people don't really like oh, that, that, that kind of stuff yeah so it is really amazing that it's really taken off and I think it is because you know I would very much recommend the Handmaid's Tale as a book, and it does really like seep into your consciousness. And the the series was the same in that you you can't you do watch it and see like I see how things could get there. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of um, a lot of dystopian fiction, it's like the thing that happened that made the dystopia is usually like very long ago. Or, so, it's
0: or it's like an apocalypse or yeah. something.
1: Whereas in this instance, in The Handmaid's Tales universe, it's some, It's like a very gradual change, but it equally happened quite recently. So the main character, um, Alfred she can still remember what her life was like before, which I think makes it all the more disturbing mm. because the way her rights are kind of gradually taken away until she becomes a handmaid is it's documented in this like chilling way so I think that's maybe part of why it's been so successful but but yeah it's amazing to see and like I definitely will read I'll definitely read it at some point Mm. um and let you know what I think
0: yeah absolutely I, I I can't I mean not not that I don't not that I don't agree that these issues are very important I just can't I'm um, like my mother in that respect. I just can't stand it. It's so miserable. Like I do, I am aware. I do know. It, I also don't watch documentaries about the planet dying or about animals being killed in like the factory farm of um, mass production because I know it's happening. I don't need someone to remind me it's happening. But I can appreciate the testament. She's a great author, and it is touch. It's like reaching people in a way that is really quite important.
1: Yeah, like. and it's maybe um, yeah reaching people who wouldn't normally perhaps pick up. Um, yeah. that book which is a lot of us wouldn't yeah. necessarily automatically go swerve towards that kind of fiction but Absolutely. people are because it's become so popular um but yeah it is interesting how things become um become kind of pop culture phenomenons and how some books rise above others to become like the thing everyone needs to read and one another book that i read recently that was very talked about, not on Margaret Atwood level, but certainly talked about a lot. Um, three Women by Lisa Tadeo, um, which I actually listened to as an audiobook, and I think it worked very well as an audiobook because the three women's storylines, different actresses read each oh, one, okay, sure. um, which was quite clever. And then Lisa Tadeo read her own introduction and conclusion, um, and she uh, is an American journalist who travelled across the US for eight years listening to women tell her their stories about their desires and their relationships in whatever form that might take um and then she kind of consolidated that into the stories of these three women in particular who she wanted to highlight um and one of them is a woman who had an affair with her high school teacher um, and then brought him to court and it was um he was found not guilty so i suppose I should say it's an alleged affair, but in this, the story is her telling what she says happened. Um, and uh, Lisa today was like, highlighting that kind of story that's been suppressed, I suppose. Um, and then the other story is about a woman who rekindles a relationship with a high school boyfriend, which ended under kind of very traumatic circumstances. And then the third story is a wealthy like New England woman who has um, a, her husband... like basically kind of makes her go and have affairs with strangers and then like film it and send it to him so there are three kind of particular circumstances and like you basically get into their mindset like that's the idea and then um Lisa Tadeo's has said that it's supposed to be a representation of like what it means to be a woman in America today and what it means to (coughs) be a woman who desires desire (laughs) um so it's lofty ambitions and um I was intrigued by it because I remember like first seeing it and being like, oh, I don't really know what this is. And of course, it's n- it's nonfiction, mm. but it's presented like fiction mm. in that you're told, and and I guess like so, um, Lisa Sadeo spoke to all these women in great at great lengths and like lived with in the same town as them in in some cases. So she was very like there, mm. but she writes it. She says things that she couldn't possibly have known. Mm. She's like, oh. Lena felt like her heart was pounding from her chest, and it's like, I don't think Lena necessarily said that to her. That's it's kind of almost fictionalising the reality, mm. which is just an interesting journalistic writing style. Um, and yeah, I found it very compelling, but I don't think you could ever say that it speaks to the experience of all women. Yeah. And I don't think that actually the, the author is necessarily saying that, um, quote unquote, but I think that's kind of what has the story, the. You know, uh, what's the word like the? That's what's kind of been like generated around it. Yeah. As like read this to understand the female experience. Yeah. And I guess that's like a tricky thing to ever like fully pull off.
0: It does sound like marketing spiel though, doesn't it too? Yeah,
1: I'm sure. Um, but that said, like again, it's really interesting. It's it's done like incredibly well. Yeah. And been very popular, but, uh, in it could have equally sunk without a trace. I think quite easily. Not yeah. because it's not strong writing or not compelling, but just because. It, in, instead it clearly got this like real like push of like this actually could be like a really like big read um and yeah i think it, it definitely delves into some very interesting themes um but i'm i guess so i gave it like three stars on goodreads yeah. and, and that's kind of even though there were elements of it that i was really really engaged with um so yeah i don't know i'd be interested like if any of our listeners have read it and like because you don't currently know anyone who's read it and i feel like i need to talk about it with someone um but comparing that to um i read gia tolentino's book of essays called trick mirror Mm. she's a new yorker writer and she's wrote a series of essays about our current times i guess and like what it's like to be a young woman in this era Mm. um she talks a lot about the internet she talks about um marriage and the question of whether to get married um she talks about sexual assault, um, delving into um some real life issues, the things the things that have happened to people. Um but also there's a whole a whole um essay where she talks about her experiences of reality TV. Ooh. When she was sixteen, she was on this show called Girls versus Boys Puerto Rico, where teenage girls and boys were flown out to Puerto Rico and had to like compete in tasks. Oh. Um Ooh. and she's kept that like I guess somewhat under wraps really yeah. um, and then she wrote this like really compelling essay I mean her writing is amazing and I actually also listened to that audiobook I kind of got into audiobooks recently and it worked really well in that format because she's talking and it's yeah. obviously her telling these stories um, but she's just an amazing writer I didn't really know her work that well I think had not really come across it so much um but now i would like definitely read everything and she actually wrote a really interesting review of um the testaments in fact oh cool um, where she talked a bit about how the handmade figure has become this pop culture icon um so yeah i think she's amazing and i would really recommend those essays and even if you're not someone who normally reads books of essays which to be honest i wouldn't say i particularly read a lot of that but mm. i think it's um, they're all really really interesting and really make you think yeah so yeah that, those are some of the things I've been reading and enjoying
0: um. I've literally just jumped back onto the pop culture bandwagon because I've been, you know, deep in Having jumped off <laughs> deep in essay territory for the yeah. last few months. But um, I've been watching um, the Netflix puppet show, the uh, Matt, the Curse of the Dark Crystal, something like that. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, the Rise of the Dark Crystal. Mm. It's something like that. It's, um, I am really there for the artistry and the puppet work is fantastic. Um, and the world itself is really beautiful so I've been really enjoying that. I also like the storytelling as done by puppets because it's naturally slower. Um, The physicality of it, it's very unique because then they've animated some of the magic but all the characters are puppets so the way in which they move and they speak is naturally very different so it's a really different experience to watch it it mm. has to be a bit of I think it's a it's a cult show like if people go back to it because they're like ooh the evil skeksis I remember them from my childhood Woo-hoo. Um so it's definitely not something that is going to be like giant but I think it's just a really interesting show and I am like that Netflix have been like let's put a clanger style puppet show on, on TV yeah, why not yeah
1: intriguing
0: which I really I'm really liking it so if I haven't finished it I've only got like 3 or 4 episodes in but I'm really enjoying it mm. um, there's got some big names in it as well um, like Mark Hamill um, uh, Taron Egerton is not it mm. all these kind of people um, Helen Bonham, Bonham Carter, my namesake. Your here. namesake? Yeah. Um, I've also been reading, I really want to watch The Goldfinch, the film, because I love um, Ansel Elgort, mm-hmm. who plays the adult version of the character, and the boy, who plays him as a boy. I can't remember his name, but he was in Pete's Dragon, um, the newer version. Yeah. He was so good in it as a boy who is, because he doesn't have much, he doesn't speak. So he's kind of like um, mini Boy Brown in her first role in um, as Eleven. So. I really loved his acting, so I want to see that, but I want to read the book first because mm. I've, I've read Donald Trump before and I know it's a good book. So I'm reading The Goldfinch and I'm actually really enjoying it. It's so slow, and I'm not saying that because the plot's interesting, and it is, it just it takes a long time. She really takes her time with everything. So, like, there's a scene in, like, um, you know, the scene, um, so the, the premise of the book. And the film is that he is in an art gallery with his mother and then he's in the moment no sorry he's in the Met and then there's an explosion which kills mm. his mother and he um, ends up having to go and live with a family and he picks up this painting um, and I'm 170 pages in and the painting has not been talked about since Right. Yeah. No, it's about this painting this whole story and the, the scene where he actually goes the scene where he has he the explosion happens and he escapes takes about 20 pages yeah so she really takes her time which is unique because i think a lot of writers would have to be edited down because it's quite unwieldy to write in that way but she's actually so good that it's all there for a purpose
1: and i because i know i've talked about the goldfinch on the podcast before because i read it last year for yeah. the first time and just absolutely loved it and i i really enjoyed that like kind of dickensian yeah long form storytelling of being like completely engrossed in the characters and mm-hmm. their journey and i think you, you're with Theo from that traumatic moment in his childhood right up until he's in his 20s and dealing with a host of other issues but they all stem back to that original moment of like his life changing and I think um the way that she allows those characters to breathe mm. in the context of this like massive book is what makes it so good mm-hmm. and I do worry about the movie has had kind of mixed reviews yeah I'm, I've read seen that I, I do worry that like it's actually very difficult to like do that Mm. in a movie if you could even say it was impossible yeah a couple of reviews i read said that it would have perhaps worked better as like an hbo series yeah i was like oh man yeah i think it would have done
0: yeah yeah absolutely but maybe they wouldn't be able to get the same actors and they were both very good so I'm really excited to continue reading that. Mm. Um, and there's a bunch of other things I'm excited for. Um, I've been seeing some trailers for this uh, Emily Meade Clark-led film Last <laughs> Christmas, based on the music of George Michael, which is a bit of a leap, but it has the Henry Golding in it from Crazy Rich Asians. Uh,
1: I recently watched him in Simple Favor. Oh, on, or you should definitely watch it. It's on Netflix. Oh, with yeah. With Anna Kendrick yeah, and Lake exactly. Lively. Um, I wouldn't say it a hundred percent hangs together the whole time, but it is generally quite enjoyable to yeah. watch. Um, and Henry Golding is Blake Lively's like super hot, potentially suspicious husband. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's
0: like really um, breaking out, isn't he? Absolutely. So he's great. And uh, that show, the film itself, it seems to be about a girl, who I think maybe it's linked to Amelia Clark's, um, Amelia Clark's, the trauma she went through when she had a stroke.
1: Yeah. Or an, seems, an aneurysm. It seems like the. Similarly, it's about a young woman who has had this like uh, medical scare, yeah, and then is now like recovering to the yeah. music of George
0: Michael, <laughs> and trying to find her way as a Christmas elf. I'm always employed as Christmas elves, so I'm looking forward to that. I also have been keeping up. Um, I keep up with the Office cast on Twitter, the U.S. Mm. Office, and they're releasing a podcast, Angela Kinsey and. What? Uh, what? Jenna Gen- Jen Fisher. That's it. Uh, so Pam and Angela on the show are releasing a podcast called Office Ladies where they watch episodes of The Office and just chat about them which I'm like I ne- don't listen to podcasts but I'm going to listen to this one because I love The Office and love the, both of them. I think they're both Angela Kinsey is a, a great comedian. She's amazing. So I'm really looking forward to that.
1: Also I would argue that like people need like a podcast what's the word? Not like breakthrough. What's that word? Like when you're like a you li- you do you listen to something once or so you watch something once and then you're like hooked. Yeah, I can't think of the word.
0: Gateway but... podcast.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. I I think that's how podcasts work. And, yeah. Um, I think that definitely happened with me that I started listening to one and then I just got really hooked in the whole concept um but yeah that's super fun and um, really interesting particularly given that they were in the show themselves and it ended some time ago yeah but they want to revisit it in that way I wonder why they kind of made that creative mm. choice
0: I mean The Office made the careers for everybody on that show aside from me and my boyfriend were talking about this earlier um aside from Steve Carell who actually got the 40 year old virgin role when he first started with The Office so um he Connor says that the um the first season came out and everyone was like oh, okay I mean it's kind of alright and it was finding its feet um and then the 40 world version came out and Steve Carell was like an overnight success at everyone no. I mean I, I don't I never watched it and I won't ever watch it but I remember people talking about it as being like a, a really really great film yeah really liked, and you definitely I like knocked like up.
1: he's become he's been a, a movie star for like a long time like and yeah you know yeah through your course of the office absolutely yeah.
0: so he they, they basically found themselves with a Coming on, movie star who was locked in to uh, more seasons of The Office if they could, if they ordered them. So then they ordered a few more seasons, and then everyone else's careers was made by that show, mm. including Steve Carell's, was underlined by it. Yeah. Sure. So I think that w- that sh- a lot of them have never gotten very far away from it anymore, like Jenna Fisher, um, Rain Wilson, who plays Dwight, Angela Kinsey. Um, they're, they're all known as the people at Helms, they're all known as the people from The Office, mm. even, even John Krasinski. Um, though he has now gone to lofty heights and married Emma, uh, Emily Blunt, which yeah. is just like the peak of success. But he is
1: still very much always compared to that into that role. Yeah. Even when he does a role that's like very different, or yeah. when he directs a movie as he did
0: with um, with the Quiet a Quiet Place. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to all of those things, and of course I keep thinking about it, and I'm so excited. Um, His Star Materials, it's coming. Yeah. I'm so excited. Oh my god! Yeah, that's incredibly exciting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So um, yeah, well that's it. I
1: think from us yeah well lots to look forward to and we'll definitely i can definitely imagine us discussing his dark materials when that comes out yes and also last christmas because like a quick side note there's a whole thing where people think henry golding's character might be a ghost so it'd be fun to see whether he is a ghost oh,
0: okay yeah um and yeah and i mean Absolutely. So, in the kind of like coming three episodes, we've got a few uh, books that we're going to be talking about, and um, some shows, some Netflix shows, but obviously some movies as well. Hopefully, the uh, my first podcast will turn out to be something worth talking about. <laughs> Your first podcast, uh, despite the fact having hosted a podcast for like two years. <laughs> yeah. And, um, absolutely. So, as always, you can catch up with us on all our social medias. We are at Real LLW. Still, Twitter tried to take us down. We didn't manage it on Twitter. Um, at Loves Labors Watched on Instagram, and we're also Loves Labors Watched. At @gmail.com at no punctuation if you want to email us um, if you have any business opportunities for us go ahead email us who knows you yeah, know, we're, nice. always for, we're always up for always up for any opportunity so um, yeah and i think that's it is that everything yeah yeah cool all right see you next time bye